And I know that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but there are a few things in my life that still strike up that, you know, that worldly fear. Let's put it that way. That, that sense of terror. The spider on the car. The current price of potatoes. That's a little bit, um, it's a little bit frightening. Um, go to the go to the supermarket and buy something that used to cost fifteen dollars, and you walk out as a hundred dollar shop. What is going on there? Another time, Jordan took me to to a movie. Um, very cute, isn't it? No, I went to went to a movie called The Conjuring Two, um, and Jordan really loved it. Didn't really bother him, and I slept with the lights on for four days. I think actually my dad went to Jordan after that and said, what did you do to my son? He's been sleeping with the lights on. In fact, it wasn't after seeing that movie, I didn't just sleep with the lights on in my room. I left the lights on in the whole house. So I need, I need all the light possible here. Um, so a little bit, little bit of that. But the greatest fear of mine is heights. I hate heights. I mean, Charles were talking about this yesterday doesn't even have to be a great height it's it's frightening now I'm not not like Shawnee Shawnee here has no fears yeah he, uh, he talks about you know he used to do a job where he would put on like scuba gear and go and weld ships on the bottom of them or whatnot can't even imagine that I mean maybe depths are a fear of mine too but I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't know I haven't um I haven't given that one a go, and I don't. I don't intend to. But heights, woof! I could. I. I hate. I hate heights. There's nothing worse. You know, I watch those. You ever watch those movies like Into the Void or whatnot, where they're they're climbing Mount Everest and yes, your palms are getting all sweaty, and it's just like Whoa, I don't, it's, it's terrible. There's there's a lot that is to be said about why. Heights are terrifying. You know, Geordie once helped, asked me to come help here putting up. Do you remember we used to have uh, those block lights that would hang down? Yeah, and I made up an excuse because I didn't want to get up a, a scaffold and try and pretend that I wasn't scared when I was really terrified. So to keep my, um, to keep my dignity, I uh, lied about being busy. Um, so... Heights are, heights are not something that we often run towards, right? I remember being at a school event. Um, now, back, back in the day, I don't know if they still do this. Now, I don't know if they do this at Plenty Valley, where I'm now sending, sending Scout. But um, at Donvale, they used to make you go and do a working bee. And if you didn't go and do the working bee, your family got charged $400, right? And... Um, and so you'd go and do the working bee, so you didn't have to pay the extra $400 fee. So I went with my dad, and uh, the thing that we got given was cleaning the gutters. Now, I'm afraid of heights, and my dad is afraid of heights. So of all the people that were there uh, to, to do this job, we were probably the two most ill-equipped. Um, I was in year seven or eight at that point in time. And uh, I remember getting up on the roof, finally getting up there and feeling, all right, I'm on steady ground. Dad gets up the ladder, gets to the, gets to the gutter, and the ladder falls down, and he's hanging off the side of a, a two-story building. And I'm there a year, 
year eight, hanging over the building, holding onto my dad's pants, like, what am I going to do? Until eventually he does um, a, a chin up, probably thinking my year eight son is going to kill me and himself here. Um, I've never seen my dad do a chin up in his life. Never seen him do a chin up again. Um, but in that moment, he had one of those, you know, woman lifts the car to to get the uh, <laughs> to get it off their their child situations, and you know, is up on the roof, and we waited. Legitimate fear of heights, right? I'm not one for it, but today I want to go to a passage um, in Scripture, and I want to I want to turn to uh, Habakkuk today, um, and the the book of Habakkuk, and talk particularly about. Uh, a, a passage here where Habakkuk talks about treading on the heights without fear. But let's get into the background of this book uh, before uh, we get too far into it. So we're talking about um, the late 7th century BC here. Um, so this is the kingdom of Judah, the, the northern kingdom uh, 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 prior to the uh, Babylonian exile. Now, Judah was facing significant social challenges at this time. They were facing political challenges. There were surrounding nations that wanted um, to uh, basically take their land, take uh, 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 what they had, and um, there, there was a king prior uh, to Habakkuk called Josiah. Now, many of us are, are familiar with Josiah. During Josiah's rule, rule as king, he was a good king. Judah experienced a religious revival. It experienced reform. But after his death, the nation descended into political instability. Uh, various kings came to power and foreign invaders and oppressive rulers started uh, to surround the nation. And so Habakkuk uh, is a prophet living in that tumultuous period, period of time where, when surrounding nations are coming against Judah. Now, this book is unique, right? Because it consists primarily of a conversation, a dialogue between God and Habakkuk. And we can see Habakkuk here. He's questioning God's apparent inaction in the face of evil and injustice. Habakkuk witnessed the growing influence of the Babylonian Empire, which was posing a threat to Judah. Now, we know what eventually happened uh, with Babylon and Judah. Eventually, Babylon, the Babylonians, would uh, uh, invade and that they would go into exile um, in the Babylonian Empire. Now, the Babylonians, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, were experiencing uh, um, the, the, the pressure of their expanding empire and they could see that the surrounding nations to Israel were being subjugated. They were being taken over. They were being, um, they were being uh, uh, destroyed by the, the Babylonian empire. So here Habakkuk has a dialogue with God. Now we could put it in, in our own situation. It's as if a large superpower was beginning to invade New Zealand, Indonesia, surrounding island nations. What would we be feeling in that, in that time? We're watching a superpower 
take all of the surrounding nations. You've got to turn your volume down before you look at videos. Okay, okay. It's all right. If you want to play a video game, it's okay. Just turn the volume down. So they're there watching this all happen. And Habakkuk's questions, they revolve around this existential crisis that Judah's facing. And Habakkuk leads with a complaint. It's literally the first thing, right? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Must I call for help, but you not listen? How long, Lord? Habakkuk begins by questioning God's apparent silence and inaction in the face of the injustice and wickedness that is happening to Judah and within Judah. He expresses frustration, asking why God allows and tolerates wrongdoing and why justice seems perverted. Habakkuk longs for God to intervene in this situation. Here is an honest expression of Habakkuk's emotions. It's the truth. It's what he's actually thinking. Habakkuk has an expression of frustration and questioning about God's presence within evil and injustice. It's raw. It's honest. He's brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted about the things that are happening. And Habakkuk can't comprehend how these bad things are happening to the people that God loves. God's own people. We might hate to admit it. Isn't this actually a lot like us? It's a lot like us, right? Well, maybe, maybe you're a lot more holy than I am. Maybe you've never had a question on your lips about the goodness of God or why God seems silent. If we're honest, this question from Habakkuk, it resonates with us, doesn't it? How long, Lord? How long? We feel fear. We feel anger. We feel sadness. You know, there's a common refrain in, in Scripture where wise men ask the question or observe the question, why do good people suffer whilst the evil people seem to prosper? You can look at Psalm 73. You can look at Jeremiah 12, Ecclesiastes 7.15. You can look at Habakkuk. Are we confident enough? Are we confident enough in the grace of God to pour out the things that honestly reside in our hearts? Are we confident enough in the grace of God? You know, God is not a man. God is not a person whom if we were to pour out our actual feelings, the things that are going on in our heart, that he is so sensitive that his ego would be bruised. Do you know what? God knows what's going on in your heart. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what's going through your heart. So why don't we pour those things out in prayer? Should we not pour them out? Should we not 
uh, as scripture puts it, inquire of the Lord. Ask him questions. Because Habakkuk's example is just that, right? He pours out what he's thinking, what he's feeling. He pours out his heart. He, and he pours out his fears to God. And do you know what? God welcomes questions. God's not sitting on a throne distant and uninterested in our questioning and our pains, our hurts. God's not sitting distantly not listening, right? God's interested in what we have to say. So we should pour out our brokenness to him. We should pour out our questioning to him. We should pour out our disconnect, our discontent to him. We should pour out our rage. Habakkuk wrestles with the tension between the difficult circumstances that he's facing and his faith in God's character. When we face trials, at crisis points in our life, let's be honest, we grapple with that disparity. How come uh, evil people are prospering, but we're suffering? We wrestle with that disparity. And we should pour that out and inquire of the Lord. But we shouldn't just pour out our anger. We shouldn't just pour out our rage. We shouldn't just pour out our brokenheartedness. There is a caveat here. There is a bit of a kicker here. We shouldn't be like a toddler screaming at a parent, but I want it. Give it to me. You know, the amount of times I've had that level of logic, you know, when I'm talking to God, it's the same as when scouts often talk to me, but I want ice cream. I know it's the middle of the night, but I want it. Why can't I have it? I want another ice cream sandwich. That was last night's one. I'm hungry for an ice cream sandwich, Dad. Charles gave Scout an ice cream sandwich as a discovery for her. We could be like that. We could be like a we could be like a first year university student who's just joined the Socialist Alliance and just wants to scream at people in the street. Ah! We can't be like that. There's a caveat here, right? Habakkuk doesn't just yell at God and scream at him and be like, I'm angry. He stops and then he gives his ear to the Lord. He listens. He listens for a response. How often do we do that? How often do we pour out our pains and frustrations and then go, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What's your response? And we see that in Habakkuk. From verse 5, we can see that God answers what Habakkuk is saying. Habakkuk complains. He asks. He pours out his heart. And then he listens. God responds to Habakkuk. He reveals his plans to him. And you know what? This revelation raises further questions for him. And he inquires uh, uh, of, of the Lord regarding the justice of his anger, uh, of God's actions. And he continues to inquire of the Lord. God doesn't rage against Habakkuk for questioning. God doesn't rage against us as his people when we have a question of him. God loves his people. And he loves them when they're confused. He loves them when they're hurting he loves them in their pain. And in fact, he came for us in our 
pain and in our shame, we should see how much he loves us and how he loves for us to inquire of him. You know what? The best question Scout can ask me when I say no is why? Because I can tell her because of this reason. And though we might be confused, though we might be hurting, our faith and our hope is in God. We see that in Habakkuk's words. The reminder to hold on to the truth of God's goodness, even when circumstances seem bleak. Trusting in God's character. When the world is crumbling, when the pain is deep, when we don't know whether we can go on, God is on his throne. And we can then see God's response to Habakkuk's pain in chapter 2. God assures the prophet that he is aware of the situation. God knows about the situation. He's going to act in due time. God reveals his plan that there will be judgment upon Judah. But there would be a future hope. God emphasizes that the righteous live by faith, contrasting their faithfulness with the pride and arrogance of the wicked. Isn't that a powerful reminder? Isn't that a powerful reminder as we walk through the fog of life and difficult circumstances that we live by faith? When we feel pain, when we feel confusion, when we feel grief, when we feel fear, whilst wicked people's pride and arrogance cause them to grow tired and weary, righteous people, God's people, trust in God's goodness and the faithfulness of God. While other people look in every other place for comfort, for joy, we trust in God. And he brings true joy. He brings true hope. He brings true fulfillment. Trusting God through the heavy weight of grief, of pain, of anger, of confusion, is the only road to joy in those situations. There is no other road to joy. There is nothing else that can bring joy in those kind of situations, but the Spirit of God, but God. That is the only way. And I'm not going to lie to you. That's the hardest surrender of all, right? The deep reliance of, on God and the willingness to surrender to his will, even in the face of un, uncertainty and suffering, that seems mad, right? And it's, it certainly seems mad to those who do not know Jesus, those who do not know God. Living by faith means trusting in God's plan and strength and finding peace in his presence, even in the midst of unspeakable pain. It's not easy. You know what? It should never be said as a platitude. When someone's in pain, right, you should never just go, yeah, but, you know, you're fine to trust God. Probably, probably not your place to do that. Um, it's not a platitude, right? But it is the truth. And it's God who is the truest hope of the most broken hearts. And it's the Spirit of God that empowers us to live hopefully and joyfully in the face of trials. 
Now Habakkuk concludes his book here, his uh, prophecy with a psalm. And in the final chapter we read uh, Habakkuk's prayerful response uh, to God's revelation of his plan. He recalls God's mighty acts through history, such as the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the conquest of Canaan. Habakkuk affirms his trust in God's character and power, acknowledging that even during impending calamity, the worst of the worst, he will wait patiently for God's salvation. Will you turn with me now to Habakkuk chapter 3? Habakkuk's prayerful response to the troubling times that he faced, um, these offer us incredible insights into the lessons we need to learn for our own time. We find Habakkuk's prayer, prayerful uh, trust and dependence on God uh, even during uncertainty. So Habakkuk 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I've heard your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them know. In wrath, remember mercy. So firstly, what does Habakkuk do here? He remembers God's mighty deeds of the past. He acknowledges God's mighty work. He acknowledges God's power. Habakkuk begins his prayer by acknowledging God has been faithful. That he can see that throughout history, God has been faithful to his people. He remembers God's deeds. He reflects on God's power, his sovereignty. And he asks God, do it again. Do it again. What do we do when we find ourselves in pain? Do we reflect on God's past faithfulness to us and to others? Do we reflect on the testimonies that we've heard and that are in our own lives? Or do we simply just look ahead thinking, I don't know if God's going to be faithful. Because you know what, we, what happens if we look back? We realize God's always been faithful. When we reflect on God's work in our lives we see his faithfulness we should reflect on God's faithfulness in our own lives do you know what if you don't have a journal where you are writing down the faithfulness of God in your life you will forget write it down reflect on God's goodness reflect on his faithfulness we can draw strength Encouraged by remembering how God has come through for his people in the past. And you know what? We can ask for God do those things again in our day. In our day. Let's continue from uh, verse 5. And there's some pretty hefty language here as the, the Psalms uh, uh, tend to, to hit on. A plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? 
Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. You're getting a sense of God's power here. The mountains saw him writhe. God's power on display, and it just follows him. You know, as Habakkuk looks back on the history of God's dealing with his people, he can recognize that God's ways are higher than ours. God's ways are everlasting. They're beyond human comprehension. They're beyond human comprehension of power, right? If you think you can understand the power of God, then you, you've gone mental. We can't understand his power. We can't understand his absolute power. When we come before the Lord, we are not coming before some weak, egotistical God, right? We are coming before an all Powerful, all-powerful God whose power is beyond our comprehension. And Habakkuk acknowledges that it's beyond our comprehension. He acknowledges that uh, God's ways are mysterious and beyond our understanding. And you know what? Despite not knowing the full plan, Habakkuk makes a decision, a decision to trust in God's sovereignty, to trust in God's plan. We must also learn to trust in God's perfect plan, even when we can't comprehend the circumstances that are, that are unfolding around us. Trusting in his sovereignty means surrendering our own desires and submitting our will, knowing that his ways are higher than ours. Again, this isn't easy. I want to be in control of everything. I want to, you know, be the Lego master, building everything and doing it my way. But sometimes we're called to go, Lord, your will, not mine. And finally, Habakkuk finds joy in God's salvation. This is actually one of my favorite scriptures in the whole whole word of God in verse 16 I heard and my heart pounded my lips quivered at the sound decay crept into my bones and yet my legs trembled yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations that are surrounding us though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sh uh, sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Habakkuk finds joy. Salvation, ultimately. 
face of impending trials, he expresses his confidence. Ultimately, ultimately, only God who completes harvests. We can plant a field, we can water a field, we can fertilize a field, but it is God who brings harvest. Habakkuk understands that true joy isn't actually found on fruitfulness. We're so caught up with being fruitful, right? We're so caught up with wanting to have all the, the, the biggest harvest of all of our mates because of our hard work, right? But at times in our lives, we can tend the ground, we can fertilize the field, we can water it, and the fig tree just does not bud. There's no fruit on the vine. For all of our toil, it just feels like it's come to naught. But satisfaction, true joy, is not dependent on external circumstance. It is the pursuit of supreme satisfaction in God. God himself is the one that we rejoice in. He is the reality that makes us glad. True joy is not found in what we produce or what we harvest. True joy is found in the gardener himself. You know, this week, I might ask the band to come up. I went to visit a congregation member in the east who's, who's in hospital. He's very, very unwell. Um, he's been dealing with cancer for a number of years now, back and forth. And it's just gotten to the point where her uh, liver's given up. And you know, she, she could pass away at any day. You know, exceptionally sad. You know, we've been praying for her as a church. We're believing the, the best for her, but it's just gotten unwell. She's going to pass away. I was dreading walking into that room. I walked in, there's her dad sitting next to the bed. It's such a tragedy, right, when when a parent is outliving their child, right? I just walked in, Sister Simone, just heartbroken for you. Just heartbroken for you today. Look back at me, just dead in the eyes. Why? I'm going to see Jesus. Be heartbroken for everyone else. Knocked me over with a feather in that moment. Right? There I am. Feeling the weight of heartbreak. Feeling the sadness of the situation. There she is picture of that scripture though the fig tree does not bud yet I will rejoice God my saviour yet I will rejoice choose to rejoice our ultimate joy comes 
from setting our eyes on Jesus Christ, to know that nothing can separate us from His love, to know that He is with us, to know that He has saved us. And so that brings us to the final verse of this book. And it's where I really wanted to get to this whole time. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. You know, we can rely on God to strengthen us for the journey ahead. Habakkuk expresses unwavering trust in God regardless of the circumstance that he's found himself in. That God is his strength and enables him to tread on the heights just as a deer effortlessly navigates challenging terrain. Uh, um, Habakkuk recognises that God equips and empowers him to face the trials that lie ahead. And when we place our trust In God, He strengthens us and enables us to overcome the challenges that we encounter on our journey of faith. Now, there's the deer, right? And the deer that is referenced in this passage is most likely the Nubian ibex, which you might be able to see jumping around on the the screen there. Now, the deer here... Is a, 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 or the ibex, it, it lives primarily in the Middle East, right? And it, um, it lives in rocky, harsh uh, desert mountains, steep, almost cliff faces. You know, there's, there's videos of these ibexes on YouTube of them climbing up the faces of uh, dam walls, like ver- near vertical spaces, right? They're, they're steady-footed on these, these absolutely treacherous, terrains. The ibex can scale steep slopes effortlessly while a person would be slipping down these hills while they'd be uh, 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 unsure, they'd be afraid. The ibex would move up and down effortlessly. It allows them to avoid dangers. It allows them to get away from things like bears and wolves and whatnot. It helps them get away easily from the things that would try and Uh, afflict them. Their hooves are strong and agile, enabling them to traverse and scale rocks with stability and ease. It allows them to live and survive and thrive in the places most other animals could not live. Inspired by the ibex, this creature Habakkuk has seen probably a million times before running up and down cliff faces. Habakkuk declares that the Lord is his strength and gives him the feet of a deer that enables him to tread the heights, the most treacherous places he faces. This would have been a common sight for him. And he puts it into that prayer. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, we know that throughout the Bible, throughout the way that we interact with each other and just our our language, we we talk about life as a path, right? And sometimes our path leads to excitement, joy and satisfaction, but sometimes it leads to sadness, frustration uh, and pain. 
We even use the language of mountaintop and valley to describe the moment when things are incredibly hard and difficult or when they're wonderful. But for most part, life winds between these two things, right? Back and forth between the heights and the depths. And there's no getting around the fact sometimes life is disheartening, sometimes it's terrifying, sometimes it's frustrating. God never promised life would be easy. God never promised that the path would be simple. In fact, read Revelation, right? The path is described as difficult, narrow. God never promised that the path would be easy or without trials. But, but He did promise joy. He did promise satisfaction. He did promise comfort. When things are hard, we pray for God to change our circumstances and our path. And you know what? We should pray that. This is not a message saying, don't pray for God to change your circumstances. Because that's absolutely what's modelled to us throughout Scripture, right? But that prayer is incomplete. It must be measured with even if, even if, even if God changed my path. But even if you don't, then give me the feet for it. The ability to walk the heights where God has led us. We should pray that God changes our path if it's a difficult one. Even Jesus, even our Saviour said, let this cup pass from me if it is possible. Let this cup pass by me. Paul prayed for a thorn in his flesh to be taken away. Charles and I were speaking about it this week. Moses prayed that God change his mind about destroying the Israelites when they were rebelling against him. And he did. We should pray. We should pray for God's intervention in difficult circumstances. As far as I can see, the biblical model is this. Pray for transformation and intervention and pray for the feet, for the path that God is leading us on. Whatever that might be. God, save me from this path. But if not, give me feet for the journey. God, change this way. But if you don't, help me live it well. You know, when we touch something hot, when I, I seem to do it a lot. I touch the oven and burn myself a lot. When we touch something hot, we have a, a natural reaction, right? Pull our hands out from it. We want to get out of that situation. That's wise, right? We don't actually want to stick our hand into a fire and go, <laughs> cook on my hand. Family's going to be eating my hand for dinner. No, <laughs> we don't want to just leave it in there. Painful situation. When we find ourselves in pain, in emotional pain, in life pain, we want to get out of that situation, right? It's a natural pain response. We want to make an escape plan to get out of that situation. And we often look in the wrong places of escape when we're in pain. People look for, for an escape route through sex. They look through for an escape through alcohol. They look for an escape um, through uh, bad relationships or affairs or, or things like that. 
And some people come to the absolutely mental idea, the absolutely crazy idea that it would be somehow less painful, that it would be somehow better if they were just to do away with the whole God thing altogether. No, I made that choice once. Charles met me in an incredible amount of pain when I first came to the church years and years ago. Where out of my own pain, I had burnt down every relationship, every element of faith, everything good in my life I'd set a match to. That's where I was. But that path of escape only led to more pain. It's the enemy's deceit, right? The enemy's deceit. It's going to be somehow more joyful over on the other side, the highway. But God's way is better. When Chanel and I were on our honeymoon, we would drive these roads in on the Amalfi Coast, tiny little roads. Remember, I'm afraid of heights, right? Those sheer drops on cliff faces next to them. Terrified. Just terrified. I wanted to get off those roads as quickly as I possibly could. And the, the nuts things is, thing is, these Italians flying at you what seemed like warp speed in lorries coming towards you on these tiny, tiny roads. And me and Chanel were as if, you know, sucking in would save us from the lorry, you know. Just high. It was frightening. The road was seemingly treacherous. And out of fear, I, at many occasions we went, I just want to turn back. There's no place to turn around. Now, I just want to get off this road. But at the end of those roads, some of the most beautiful destinations that I've ever seen in my life. Pebble beaches. These meals that were amazingly beautiful. Views like I've never seen before and haven't seen again. Just this un adorned but magnificent beauty at the end of the road and if I had abandoned the path when I was on it I would have missed the beauty of the destination the good the great the most excellent the most beautiful news of all is that for those of us who have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is that the path is always leading to something more abundantly beautiful than we could ever imagine. There is no path for those that are in Christ that does not lead to absolute perfect beauty. That is the path of the Christian. We have a hope in heaven. And so we should seek God's presence and strength. Just as Habakkuk acknowledges that God is his strength and enables him to tread on the heights. We should dwell in God's presence, rely on his strength. And this can provide comfort for us. It can provide fortitude for the path. And we put on shoes for the journey through connecting with God. By connecting with God, pouring out pain hurts receiving his joy receiving his joy
we connect with God in prayer, meditating on His Word, leaning on His grace. In God, God, we are spiritual ibex wings, steady on unsure ground, confident in spite of the difficult path ahead, agile and unafraid, though treading on the highest places, ready to take whatever path might be thrown at us. We've all met people like this in church, haven't we? How are you doing this? How are you so steady despite what you're going through? How are you so joyful despite what's happening? I'll tell you how. The sovereign Lord, as their strength, has made their feet like that of an ibex and enabled them to tread on the heights. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So what's your cliff face today? What's your cliff face? What path are you walking? Is it a health issue? a health issue? Is there pain in your body? Is there sickness? God give his feet tread on the heights. Walk with stability and strength where others would only find fear. Is it finances? financial situation, especially in the the way that inflation and all that's happening, is there difficulty there? Is that the cliff face that you're you're facing? God will equip you for the path ahead. Is it personal issues? Is it relationship issues? Where is it you need God to equip you for the path? God can absolutely transform the path that you're on. But He can also absolutely transform the way that you walk. Are you on the mountaintop? Praise God for His goodness. Are you in the valley? Hey, praise God for His goodness. We can trust God's faithfulness. With His help, we can tread on the heights. Will you stand with me? Will you raise your hands if you're feeling comfortable? And will in your mind's eye, that situation, that cliff face, that that thing that is terrifying to you, that steals your joy, that creates pain, that creates hurt, that causes worry, would you put that thing figuratively in your hands and hand it over to your Lord? Will you take that thing and give it to God? And will you receive His transformation of that situation and that path. Lord God, we pray for every situation that is being pictured 
across this room right now. Lord God, we pray, whether that's medical, Lord God, whether it's financial, Lord God, whether it's personal, Lord God, whether it's a relational issue, Lord God, whatever it might be, Lord God, we give that thing to You, our Lord. Lord God, we give You that situation. And Lord God, we pray, bring transformation to that situation, Lord God. Bring a a change to that situation, Lord God. Bring healing, Lord God. Bring providence, Lord God. Lord God, bring change to every situation. Bring reconciliation to relationships, Lord God. Bring wholeness to people that are feeling broken, Lord God. In every situation, bring restoration and change and healing, Lord God. And Lord, for the path ahead, Lord God, would you transform our viewing of that situation, of that path, Lord God. Bring change. Bring change. Make us a joyful people, Lord God. Make us a fulfilled people, Lord God. Make us see the goodness of our God. Lord God, we want to glorify You. We want to exalt You. You are beautiful. You are good. You are kind. You are lovely. You are graceful. You are powerful beyond what we know. We extol Your goodness, Lord God. And whatever situation we're in, we exalt those things. We exalt who you are, Jesus. Amen.